Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode. We are ready to rock and roll. Where are you in your life? Are you out there crushing it? Are you figuring something out? Are you in the middle of creating, brainstorming your next big thing? Are you working on the big thing you're already into right now? Well, listen, today is an important day because it might just be the day that you figure out what other business you should be doing in addition. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs these days, uh, me included, are what we would call entrepreneurs slash investors. You know, you're running your business, you're doing your life, but on the side, of course, or full-time, you want to start investing some of those proceeds, right? Um, the Richest Man in Babylon book talks about, you know, taking back that 10th that's for yourself uh, or giving God a 10th, taking the second 10th for yourself and keeping it and saving and investing and doing something with it. Well, we've been on a roll in recent times talking about real estate and different aspects of investing. And today I have someone who's become a really good friend over the last, uh, year, year and a half at this point, and really excited about finally sitting down and getting our calendars matched up. And I'm talking about Scott Carson, the CEO and chairman of WeCloseNotes.com. Uh, it's an Austin-based real estate firm. And he also hosts a really popular, uh, which is so great because it's such a small niche, but yet it's extremely popular, not just within that niche, but when compared to any other show, he's got a podcast and show called The Note Closer Show, syndicated on 17 different stations. And he's also has been an active real estate investor and entrepreneur since 2002. He focuses on the niche of distressed mortgage and note industry. So we've talked about real estate in the podcast. We've talked about different businesses to acquire and, and even business flipping. But today we want to talk about something that honestly a lot of people don't know a lot about, which is notes. So with that said, here's a person who's an extremely high sought after speaker. He's a phenomenal podcast guest, hundreds of speaking appearances. He's at every major real estate conference, real estate clubs, networking events all across the country. Please welcome to the show. Well, you're not live audience, but you get the idea, Mr. Scott Carson. Scott, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'll have uh, the, the clap of you there for you. <laughs> I, was about, I gotta be honest. I was about to say, hey, you got some distraction noise in the, oh, you're clapping. You're clapping for yourself. I love that. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> Man, I'm so stoked to, to have you, to see your face. Uh, I've been wanting to have you on the show for, for quite a while. You are a guy who clearly your knowledge about your industry is second to none and you're a leader in your industry. But I love every time we chat, it's always about the, the entrepreneur side of what you do and systemizing things and automating this. And, and you, you're giving me tips just before we got started on um, systemizing and automating my podcast. And you're just, you're a nonstop machine when it comes to growing a business. Have you always been like that, Scott? Like when you were a kid, were you like that? Did you grow up that way or did you flip kind of who you were? Um, I grew up, my, I grew up with entrepreneurial parents. My parents owned the local hardware store in a small town in South Texas. So I was always, as I like to joke about the slave labor that had to go around and put things together or go work out with other entrepreneurs, electricians or digging ditches or other things. So I've always been on for a mindset. I won't say I was always good at it because when I left, um, you know, when, when I graduated college, went to the workforce and then decided to leave there to go out my own, I bombed like anybody else and had to go back to getting a job and kind of lick my wounds and then kind of 
work my way into to where I'm at today. So I will say, I, I, what did you try to do right out of school? What did you, what did you try to do that bombed? Well, I was a, uh, I, I was working for Verizon Wireless and then was getting my securities license. I was going to become a financial advisor and do that stuff. And I went out trying to do it on my own. Uh, and yeah, no, that didn't work. You know, I, I, I did not control my, my schedule. I sloughed off. I took the freedom of uh, owning my own schedule and just it strangled me more so than anything, almost to the point of financial ruin. It's amazing how many people, you know, I ask it. I've asked this in seminar rooms. You probably have two across the world, really. Uh, what's the number one reason why you want to start a business? And the number one answer overall is always freedom. Yep. It's not money or success or anything else. It's always freedom. And usually it's an away from motivation meaning like it's something because they were feeling trapped by a job and they wanted to have freedom. So it's funny that, you know, entrepreneurs like we want to work 20 hours a week, 10 hours a week. And then we end up working 80 hours if we want to be successful. Um, when you came back in, what did you jump into? Like, did you have a background in the real estate world or in, in finance? I know you, you were going for your, um, so, your yeah, money I mean, management I and whatnot. Yeah, I had a you know, I had a business degree in Southwest, and I was working. You know, I was going to be financial advisor, and I came back, took a job for a little while, um, working for a, a, a high tech company here in Austin, Texas. And then I'd gotten all my licenses, but I just wasn't good on the prospecting, marketing side of things. And so, luckily for me, I was able to get hired on at a bank here and and really accelerate with some sales training on how to do my job. And I learned a lot of stuff there, where I was the number one banker for Chase. Uh, bank here in Texas and did that for a while and met some a buddy of mine that I worked with previously before who started a mortgage company that dealt with the real estate investors. And he came to me and this was back in 2004, 2005, and it was just going bank, I mean, crazy. And so I, you know, jumped from the banking and financial advising side into the mortgage side uh, with my buddy Boyd. And he had a couple investors that were traveling across the country, teaching seminars and workshops and creative financing. And so I really love that. And so for four years, I basically had an apprenticeship on the mortgage and creative financing and real estate side that a lot of people don't get. And then when everything hit the fan in 2009, I left the mortgage business and I jumped on the other side of the, of the, the table and started buying distressed debts and, and buying notes um, when it was the Wild West back over a decade ago. And that's what I focused on and uh, in that niche and really accelerated and done, and done really well and really become the note guy is what they call me throughout my industry. Hey, did you end up buying my note then? Because 2009, uh, <laughs> I, I, I short sold a, a house. Uh, it was pretty expensive because yeah. um, that's what I did, you know, because I, I had a mortgage background in real estate and everything. And again, people, I keep saying this, people have heard my story, so I don't need to keep telling it. Um, but, you know, prior to 2008, I had accumulated quite a bit of property and I was a, had a mortgage broker and a real estate broker office. And a couple of high-end homes got, you know, negative cash flow, and I got, I got caught. You know, fix big scars, and we, I think we all got financial scars. Hey, it's part of part of the American dream, man. You yeah. get to live a life with scars. Amen. <laughs> no, I, I didn't Did buy, you buy my note. How would I know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I, I didn't buy yours, but I, I've bought plenty. I mean, we bought. I've closed on over a half a billion dollars in debt in my ten years. I still own. Uh, a couple hundred notes throughout the country. And that our biggest goal is when we buy the debt is not to really get the real estate back, but actually I prefer keeping the borrowers in the properties and trying to work out loan modifications and, and keep them in because it's a better win-win for us. But, you know, we do end up taking about a third of our properties back via foreclosure or legal cases. And 
Um, you know, I, my biggest goal in what I do is not, like I said, not to rehab the property, but to rehab the borrower. And if we can do that, wow, it's a good day. So to explain just for kindergarten term what a note is and yep. what buying a note is, just so everyone can be on the same playing field. Good, good, good question. So everybody pretty much is in the note game. If you've got a car payment, credit card payment, student loan, um, house, you know, RV, whatever you may be. If you owe somebody, you're in the note game. You're just on the wrong side of the payment stream. Okay. So what I do is I focus on the niche of, I, I work with banks and different real estate funds. And if they've got uh, a portfolio of mortgages, uh, primarily where maybe the borrowers aren't paying on time or they're late or they haven't paid in six to 12 months, we'll buy that mortgage debt and literally become the bank. And so instead of them paying, we'll just use this for example, Chase Bank, you know, they're not paying Chase Bank, uh, Chase will sell their notes to me. And now I, my, entity, my entity becomes the bank and then we'll reach out to the homeowners and try to negotiate a loan mod of some sort. Usually we're buying that debt that's owed at a big discount. So if they, they say the borrower owes 200 grand and the house is only worth 150, we might only pay 75 grand for that note. And so that gives us a lot of flexibility uh, to work with a homeowner because they still owe 200 when we buy the note, but it gives us some flexibility to forgive some debt, to uh, reduce their interest rate, you know, um, drop it to 0%, you know, let them make partial payments for a while till they get back up on their feet. I mean, everybody's you know, gone through some sort of financial hiccup at some point, whether it's a job loss, divorce, or sickness and things. But of course, uh, yeah, I, I've been through the big dean and been a deadbeat bar before. So I have a little empathy for people. But you know, our, like I said, our goal is we don't want to take the, the property back, but we have the right to be in the bank and we, we give the borrower some options. It's in their best interest to work with us. Um, we, we'd rather keep them in the house because then we're, they're keeping the property up to date, paying the taxes and the insurance and then paying us. And then after they've made payments for six to 12 months of on time, that non-performing mortgage is now reclassified as a performing note. And we can turn around and sell that note back to Wall Street or to other investors at, you know, say 80, 85 cents of value when we bought it at 50 cents. So it's a, it's a good way to make So you're actually, so in a way you're actually flipping notes is one of the goals too? It is exactly. We, yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. Who, who classifies the notes and what are the different classifications? How does that work? So we we're, we buy primarily residential commercial notes, and and when it gets to looking, we, I mean, we get listed from banks all the time. So there's a extensive due diligence. I've got a staff and an online and a software that we've created to help us with due diligence. We're checking, looking at value, how much is under taxes, how many months behind the borrower is. Um, we do a big reach out to find out if they're working, and then we try to evaluate, you know, a variety of things. If like the power and the utilities are on, somebody's still living in the house and wants to stay. If somebody's made a payment, at least one payment in the last 12 months, uh, for six months, they really want to try to stay in the house if they can. So that works with us to buy and then immediately do the reach out to them with our staff. Say, hey, here's your options. We'd like to keep you. I mean, you know, thank you for not paying Chase, but now you got to pay Scott Carson. So let's 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 work to uh, make a win-win for you and go from there. Gotcha. So you're becoming the, okay, I, lo I love it. So you're becoming the bank. Yep. Um, Clearly, and if you've ever heard of, you know, loan mods or loan modifications, it was, of course, extremely popular 2009, 10, 11, and um, it still is today, but it was, you know, most everybody's heard about it at that point, because that's what every bank was trying to do. So it sounds like the reason that works, though, is because Chase takes the bath or however it works out for them. Like you said, you had a $200,000 note, you pick it up for 75000 Is that... And 
stop me at any point if this is like trade secrets, but I'm just I'm just going to ask you everything I'm curious about because <laughs> I want to figure out how to get in the game. Um, are you paying cash for that? Um, does someone have to normally? And of course, the way you structure it, I'm sure you have ways to use other people's money or investor groups and things like that. How does that work for the average person? Good, good, good question. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, you you can't go to the bank and get a loan to buy a loan for the most part. Now, <laughs> um, banks don't use. A Would you lend me eighty five grand? I want to buy your note for seventy five. Yeah, if you Thanks, got a man. line, you know, if you got a line of credit in your house and you got the equity, then they'll do that. But for the most part, we're about 90, 95% of the time we're using other people's money. You know, a lot of uh, people have savings or retirement accounts or self-directed IRAs. You know, we'll bring them aboard either fund one or two assets or we, you know, we've got a, a, a reg A, um, which is a, a hedge fund filing with this SEC that we're working for 25 million so that we can go buy some bigger pools. Wow. But a lot of the, a lot of the early people then it would be, cause when you said, you know, 401k or self-directed IRAs uh, yep. or self-directed 401ks and IRAs and things like that. So you can take, you know, you're working a job, you have a career long-term, you have a retirement account or multiple accounts, as long as it's self-directed, what, what are some things to look for for someone? Cause you might be thinking as you're listening right now, Oh, I have a retirement you know, account. Is this something I should do? Number one, is it smart? Is it risky? Is it more risky than not? Or is it more like kind of directing instead of going into just like, you know, blue chip funds, you're directing into uh, note funds. H- how does that work? And sh- how would someone know if they should do that or not? Great question. I'm so glad you, you brought that up because the answer for a lot of people is no, they shouldn't be doing anything. If they're not educated, there's a lot of uh, twists and turns and watching like a HGTV show is not going to help you be a note. <laughs> Man, I watch those guys and I think I could do anything. Oh, yeah. Good bones. Oh, Me and my twin brother. Yeah, exactly. When you watch those, this is what you should be doing. <laughs> Run screaming the other direction if you can. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I'm a big, but, you know, this note investing is not coming, although it's been around for years. I mean, you think about the big short that talked about note investing. Field of Dreams. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of movies that talk about the, the mortgage got bought by the bank and the bank's doing this stuff. So. What I tell people is it, it's it's an investment like anything else. It's just that it's not based on a rumor on Wall Street. You always, always, always evaluate the underlying real estate, first and foremost. You're going to check the property values, make sure you're not buying something above value or overpaying for it. Two, you need to check taxes, make sure the taxes have been paid or that uh, your your money, your investments are going to get wiped out via tax sale. And then always check title. You know, It's like making sure that you have the right to to buy an asset. I'll give you a funny example. Literally today, I have a buyer that's buying a note from me. Turns out the borrower filed a fraudulent lien um, and, and assigned it to themselves. And it's it's so obvious looking at the, the paperwork, it's fraud. I didn't sell that note. And they, you know, the uh, investor called me up like, what is this? It doesn't say you own it anymore. And I pulled it up. I was like, oh, this is totally a fraudulent lien. This person's never worked for me. Let's Let's talk to our attorneys and go from there. So the beautiful thing. They filed a lien on the property or a lien on against no, you? Uh, no, they, they they signed the deed. They said I deeded the property to them. Oh, they signed a, a fraudulent deed. Yes. Granting it from you back to them. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's fascinating. You're like, that doesn't look like my signature. Yeah, exactly. It's all, I mean, it's oh, wow. total, total fraud. But that's why you check title with anything. So um, for this is, I always tell people like, listen, with anything you do, with your investing in something, you need to have knowledge in whether it's stocks or tiddlywinks or Bitcoin or whatever the hell it is, you want to be very knowledgeable. So there's a lot of stuff. I mean, we do a lot of 
we've got a lot of videos online, like a thousand plus videos on different niches. That's why we started the podcast as well to help educate. And then we've also obviously got some training programs. But anyway, uh, the biggest thing, this works well for people that are looking to kind of get their feet wet. Uh, I would highly recommend you don't quit your J-O-B. You want to build a runway, but it's a great way to build passive income. Uh, I often tell people like, hey, start off with performing notes that you can buy at a discount and start building some cash flow to cover your bills and then then dive into the non-performing side. There's, so there's, performing note means that it's paid on time or it yep, means it's yep. paid enough on time that it hits whatever the criteria are? A little bit of both. A little bit of yep. both. You know, sure. and, um, a lot of times, like I'll give you an example, like I bought non-performing notes, got them re-performing, and then I can sell them as a performing note to somebody with their IRA who's looking to make, you know, a double digit return, you know, above average return on their money. Uh, and they can do it kind of passively because they're, uh, there are plenty of vendors out there that are doing the heavy lifting for me. Like I'm not the one foreclosing. I have attorneys in other, other states. I have a servicing company that's doing a lot of the bar outreach for us when things go south. I mean, I do have a, a full-time staff member that reaches out. And the and, and when you say servicing, we're talking about loan servicing, which means that's the people who actually send you uh, the monthly bill. That's who you send your payments to. Because sometimes yeah. you don't always send your payment to the bank. A, a company like Chase, you're probably, they're going to be the servicer and the note holder. Yes. Sometimes the smaller banks or a niche investment exactly. uh, paper, they're going to have a servicing company. So that's cool. So you don't have to be the servicer to own. The, you can own the note and not be the servicer. It's just an outsource. It's a, like you pay a fee per month or something. Yeah. I mean, you, there's a lot of states that want you to be licensed. It's either a licensed debt collector or a licensed loan servicer to collect payments from, you know, residential clients. If you're a commercial note, it doesn't matter. But on the residential side, yeah, a lot of states require it. They want you to be a licensed, either a mortgage broker or a loan servicer. So that's the thing why we use our third-party servicer. So we stay compliant, but I can still direct them, hey, this is what I want to do with this asset. You know, they collect it and then they deposit the money into my accounts on a weekly basis of what comes in. Well, th that's kind of great because like for me, that relieves a lot of, of pressure as I'm thinking about doing this. Mm -hmm. So like if I'm not licensed, i some states I can't do it anyway. So yeah. for me, if I'm thinking of getting into this with you, it'd be like, well, yeah, let me see if I can find, buy a couple notes. What What's the price range of notes? I mean, does it go down to, hey, here's a, is there an eBay for notes? Like, can you, can you get a, a $5,000 note that's not performing and buy it for 250? How does that work? How low, how high does it go? And where do you find them? That's a good question. There is no MLS, multiple listing service for notes or eBay. No. Um, so like one of the big things that we do is I'm constantly reaching out to banks and, and lending institutions to get on their, you know, on their radar. So when they have something, they send it to me. And so over the last, like when I started this thing 10 years ago, it wasn't as big as it is now. I mean, I sold everything I owned in Austin, Texas and jumped in my truck with just me and my dog. And for basically three years, drove around the country meeting with bankers one-on-one -on -one and building a really grassroots kind of relationship with them. And it's, it's really blossomed so that we now have a database of about 4,500 lenders that we send an email out to, you know, it goes to an internal department, but you know, it's not your servicing. You're not going down talking to Bob, the banker at your corner office. He doesn't know. It's, it's, it, there's an internal department of the banks called the special servicing uh, or the secondary marketing department uh, or whole loan trading. When you get a little bit bigger, these are internal departments that handle loan sales that most people don't know about. So it's just, finding those departments, reaching out to the banks, and then they'll send you a list. Now, it'll vary on where the asset's located. I mean, in, in California, it's it's ridiculous. I don't buy anything in California because <laughs> it, it's crazy out there. I don't. I, what you know, are you talking about? Well, like even non-performing stuff will sell like 95 cents of the dollar. 
just because people, it's yeah, there's no discount really. And it depends. Why on, is that? Uh, because it's people. Are, I think it would be reversed because the, the market goes up and down so much steeper yeah. and right. Like I, I saw a lot more because that's what, that's where I, my office was. It was in California yeah. for years. It's not that case in California. It's the most priciest market because you kind it, people, uh, lack of demand. I mean, a lot of demand, but lack of inventory. So it's people overpaying. I mean, I saw a portfolio of non-performing notes sell at 95 cents uh, on the dollar to somebody the other day. And it was just ridiculous. I mean, people hadn't paid in like six to 12 months. And so you would never, you would never pick up a, a package like that. No. And it's also looks at the value. Like for what I could buy one property in San Diego, one note in San Diego, I could buy a block in like Columbus, Ohio. Which know? diversifies your risk. Exactly. So if I can pick up, you know, 40 to 50 assets for 300 grand, you know, that makes sense versus buying one asset in like Naples, Florida or Manhattan or San Diego. And so, so we buy a lot in like the Rust Belt states like Ohio, Michigan, uh, Indiana, uh, Illinois, as long as it's not Cook County, I, or as I call it, Crook County. It's hard to foreclose there. <laughs> I, cook County. I buy a lot. I've bought a lot in the last couple of years in, in God's waiting room, Florida, um, because it's got a longer foreclosure time frame. I can buy it cheaper in, in states that have longer foreclosure time frames. Um, when that, how's so, Arizona? Arizona is uh, is similar to California. If uh, California sneezes, Arizona catches the cold. So <laughs> now, ten years ago, I bought a lot out there because I was buying three hundred thousand dollar homes for like thirty grand. You know, buying the debt and then foreclosing re- relatively quickly and holding on for rentals or just selling it to other investors. So, um, you know, it's it's rebounded strong. At one point, there was like fourteen thousand REOs in Phoenix that the banks were releasing a little bit at a time because if they dropped them all, it would have killed the market and it would never recovered. But, um, you know, Arizona, Phoenix, Nevada, those are all hot markets. They sell pretty fast. Um, we, we make our, our money basically buying assets that are worth like 150 grand or less because it's your kind of your first time home buyer. It's the biggest pool of buyers out there. Yeah. We like to buy occupied assets because there's somebody in the house already that wants to probably stay. So, we, we target those occupied. If it's vacant, I don't like to buy it because if it's vacant, the air conditioner's probably walked off and the copper goblins have showed up. So, Right. And, and I'm, I, remember, I remember all those, all the stories, right? And, and, and seeing those as well. Can we shift gears kind of into the, the twilight of our time together? Because, man, time goes fast and it's just fascinating. So hopefully we'll continue this conversation offline and maybe have you back on and, and yeah. kind of go deeper for those people that want that. Um, tell me a little bit about the the kind of mastermind investing entrepreneur side of what you do, because in addition to, of course, doing the investing and, and and running the investment groups and so forth, at the same time, you also have like, if you go to closenotes.com, that's your main site here, you do events, you do training, you do media, you, we were just talking about how you just passed up your 500th episode on your podcast, the Note Closer Show, congratulations, you. you've been doing a lot of stuff. Um, how and when did you start doing like events and training and teaching right away? Or is this something that once you had done enough of it, you were like, man, everyone's asking anyway. How did that, what's the genesis of like your masterminds yeah. out, in, out in Austin and Orlando and everything you do there with events? So that's a good question. So when I started do, buying notes in 2008, 2009, there wasn't a lot of education on this niche of note investing. So I started traveling the country you know, not only meeting with bankers, but also speaking on it and kind of teaching people because people would ask me to come out and speak to the investment club. So I kind of built like a grassroots network across the country for two reasons. One, it was great networking 
but it would also help me build a bigger uh, pool of buyers. So when I would get a list in, you know, like a 36 page PDF from Capital One with hundreds and hundreds of deals, I had people I could email that list to and they could buy it and I could get a brokering fee or we would joint venture or, or things like that. So um, in 2000 and 2011, 2012, I can't remember exactly, I called 10 of my students up and I said, hey, why don't we get together in Orlando for like a week and really, you know, start buying some stuff together. And that's what was my first mastermind, 10 people in a house for nine days. And we ended up buying about, uh, about 20 assets and that kind of, I saw the power of a mastermind. So we started doing a, a mastermind group of student, getting students together and, and, and our coaching guys and gals and really spending two or three days really working on each other's business, you know, business development and sharing resources and marketing tips to help them, you know, raise more capital or find more deals. And we just celebrated a couple months ago, our 22nd mastermind where we've gotten together with people. Wow. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, that's my favorite weekends of the year. We do them twice a year and it's just good to have anywhere from 30 to 80 of our students together and, and seeing them grow and them really making a difference as I say, making making America great one defaulted mortgage at a time. <laughs> I love that. So l- let me ask you the obvious plug. I want to start investing in notes. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Where do I start? And and what do I need to start? That's the most important thing. Do I need credit? Do I need, like, I feel like, hey, if I had 40 grand sitting around or 100 grand or 10, whatever it is, that's how I could start. Um, is that true or not? What do I need to start and where would I go? Uh, first thing you need to get educated. So either going and listening to our podcast or sign up for one of our workshops or going to YouTube and binge watching our hundreds of episodes and trainings and webinars that we've done to help coach our students as a good good starting point. With 40 grand, that's a great place. You could probably pick up one or two assets okay. that way. Um, I would, you know, just you want to make sure and have your vendors in place. You really need to do it as an LLC, as an entity for asset protection. Um, gotcha. Just, you know, that's an important thing. And then a lot of people will joint venture with other people where they'll, they'll find somebody that they trust that's done this for a little while and they'll kind of split the profits. One person will fund it while the other person is kind of um, uh, teaching them as they go. They can learn, earn while they learn, you know, along the way with vendors and updates and things like that. Because it's a, in this business, it's not a get rich quick scheme at all. It is a, sure. you've got it, you can build wealth, but it takes time to do this. So I always tell people if you've got a goal that you want to get in as far as, monthly income coming in, take that, what that monthly income divided by like 500 and that'll tell you the number of deals that you need to close on and then take that number and multiply it times 10 for the number of offers you need to make because most people when they start off only have about a 10% closing ratio because there's- Awesome. Two- Can you slow that down? I want to make sure we get that in the notes. So say it again. You want to do, start so with- If you want to make five grand a year, or sorry, five grand a month in, in residual income from your note- Five grand a month. Yeah. Divide that number from $500 a month as like the average mortgage payment coming in. So 500 a month would be the average payment. So you're going to want 10 deals yep. on yep. average of $500 as a monthly payment each. Monthly, monthly. For you to be making 5K a month residual. Yeah, but as a new investor, you're probably only going to have about a 10% closing ratio on offers you make. So if you wanted to close on 10 deals, that means you need to make 100 offers. Okay. And so that way you'll get to that point. Now, not every deal is always going to stay performing. Some you'll foreclose on and sell off and, and make bigger checks when you sell the real estate. Or you can turn that note you know, into a property and keep it as a rental if you want to do that. Some people do that as well. So, Oh, that's not a bad gig too. So then back to your original in the beginning of the interview, when we talk, you gave the $200,000 example, 
and you buy it for 75K, well, that house is still worth 150. So even if you can't save it, and here's the thing, it's like, you know, we're not saints and well, we kind of are, <laughs> uh, but like, we're not in it for charity, but same time, we don't want to take advantage. We want to help people every time you can, yeah. but some people don't want help. Like some Amen. people are like, Hey, no matter what you, you do for me at this point, I've already written off the property or I lost my job and I'm just not going to pay. I moved in with my parents and I'm done. Yeah. So no matter what, if they don't want to do it, then you're taking the house back. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll offer like a deed in lieu or cash for keys, or we'll approve a short sale like you mentioned happened to you years ago. We'll do that for a lot of people. So, it, so same thing. So, so they try to sell the house and they get it sold for say 150 and you go, well, a short sale. That means, yep, I'll approve your $200,000 loan being paid off for only 122, whatever the proceeds yep. are. But now you just made the difference between 122,000 and 75,000. That's not expenses. a bad day. Yep. That, that's not a bad day, man. I like give me two of those, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yep. Um last thing is when you mentioned you know getting started, getting educated, I love that. That's so smart. So uh, again, everyone make sure you check out Scott Carson, go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. They're everywhere you can get episodes of the Note Closer show and it's like Dude, Scott, and, and let me just plug you right now because Scott Carson is a gem of a human being. He is so giving, and I know him personally. We've sat in the same room in masterminds many times. Every time, if Scott knows something, he just wants to give it away. He wants to teach it. He just wants people to know it. So this is not one of those things where you get like three lessons and then you buy everything. This is a deal where Scott just gives. So listen to the show. There's over 500 episodes watch his stuff on YouTube. And, and you, if you get excited about note buying, then certainly I, I would encourage you to join the community of note buyers uh, and note closers at weclosenotes.com. You can follow Scott on social media at one Scott Carson, LinkedIn, Instagram, all that is at the number one Scott Carson. Scott, Thanks so much for taking the time, man. I really appreciate uh, you being here and just being so open and frank with everything. You you didn't hesitate on any question. I love that about you. I want to have you back uh, sometime soon. Final answer, final questions. If if again, if I'm listening right now and I want to get started, I want to get educated. How can I get more of you outside of your podcast? I know you have a a, a book called the NoteBlueprint.com slash free book. I'll put that on the show notes, of course. Yeah. But tell me about the note blueprint. Is that going to give me something specifically in addition to the podcast? I'm sure, I know it's more cohesive. Your chapters go in order so you can learn kind of from start to scratch, uh, start to finish, A to Z about notes. Anything you want to share about that and, and make sure that what I'm saying is accurate? Yeah, the, our, it's, a, it's, a, it's my, my book on note investing, how to buy real estate at 40% off. And it's uh, 73 pages, an easy read. It's not meant to be your total education, but a great kind of, uh, beginning nuts to bolts kind of aspect of things. 73 pages, well read. We cover a lot of information in there though. But yeah, noteblueprint.com slash free book. And then of course, you can always check out our different workshops that we teach and trains that we have available at weclosenotes.com as well. But we're I'm here to help, man. I, I was very lucky, like I said, years ago to have basically a four-year apprenticeship from some investors. And I always promised that if I could get ahead in life, that I would make sure and give back to those that were less fortunate. So uh, if you're military or first responder, we actually comp you into one of our workshops as well for free. Wow. All right. You heard it here first. Military first responder, you can get comped into a workshop. Um, just just be a part of this. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Guys, that's the show for this week. 
remember, uh, follow Scott at number one, Scott Carson on social media and get his book. This is a, a such a cool opportunity. Noteblueprint.com slash free book. Grab that. And it's just, it walks you through what to do. And here's what I would say is check out the show, Note Closer Show. And if this, if, if it, like, I'm getting excited about it. And I know I have a real estate background, but no matter whether you do or not, if this is something that's up your alley, you'll probably know, you know, within a couple of episodes and you just want to go deeper. And again, it's, it's free content, free material. I can't recommend it enough. I personally don't buy notes because I haven't learned how to do it yet. Not saying I won't, I actually might be doing that, but I will say if I'm going to do it, Scott is the only person I would even consider trusting and going to, to learn the system, to meet the right people, um, and to take, cause it's my family's money. This is a really, really important aspect. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't wait for it. Make sure you follow Scott. Make sure you check him out. Follow me at, at Matt Browning on all social media. You'll see all the cool things we do in Facebook lives and pictures of my kid and all that fun stuff that people like to see. Subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. Thanks for listening. Love coming at you twice a week, every single week. Remember, we're doing now a Teaching Tuesday and an Interview Friday. So if you subscribe on a, a downloadable or subscription platform like Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you don't just listen in the car, you don't just listen on the radio station, but you can actually get this in your phone to the device you're choosing twice a week, every week. Never miss an episode. Always free for you. Thanks, guys. As usual, like I say, get out there and crush it.